family worship normally looks like chaos. You can't tell by observing that anything is happening, but in the end, it is worth it. Hey friends, welcome to the Hope and Help Project, the podcast that cultivates compassionate biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. I'm your host, Christine Chapel, and I'm thankful you're here to join in on today's conversation with author and professor Donald Whitney. In today's episode, Don and I talk about his book, Family Worship, exploring why it's important, how to deal with common stumbling blocks that arise, and practical wisdom for incorporating a regular worship routine in the home. If this is your first time listening to the show, be sure to learn more about the Hope and Help Project by visiting faithfulsparrow.com forward slash project. The link is posted in the show description, and by visiting that page, you can learn all about the mission of the podcast. Before we get started, let me introduce you to our guest. Don Whitney is Professor of Biblical Spirituality and Associate Dean at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kentucky. He has written several books, including Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. Don blogs regularly at biblicalspirituality.org. Hey there, Don. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, it's uh, great to be with you. Thanks for having me on your podcast. You wrote a book entitled Family Worship, where you not only outlined the historical and scriptural basis for practicing God-glorifying, Christ-exalting worship in the home, but you also equipped the reader to actually implement such routines in really practical ways. Can you tell us a little more about the background of the book and why you wanted to write it? We had our daughter, who at this time I'm referring to is a little less than 10 uh, maybe considerably less than 10 years old. And just over the course of my reading, sermon preparation, I kept coming across in older writers particularly a term family worship or family prayer. And I found it to be strange. You know, I assumed what it probably meant, but it was just interesting that it would be spoken of so much in older literature, and yet I'd never heard of it referred to uh, you know, in contemporary literature very much, or certainly in, in churches I've been a part of. So I began to research it more carefully and to realize what a common practice this was in earlier times. It was just totally off my radar screen. So I began to research it more thoroughly, began to be burdened that I need to address this in my own life and that I needed to, you know, make this better known to others who I knew would be interested in this. And uh, before long, that led to the small book on family worship. I really appreciated that you laid a biblical foundation for the idea of family worship and demonstrated how it is rooted all the way back into Old Testament times. You write, quote, the Bible clearly implies that God deserves to be worshipped daily in our homes by our families. Can you offer us maybe a few select narratives in the scriptures which reinforce the notion that family worship, either with or without children, was designed to be woven into the fabric of our spiritual lives? Well, you can find evidence for uh, family worship as far back as uh, Genesis 22, even, where the famous story of Abraham offering up Isaac. When they get to the top of the mountain and Isaac doesn't yet know the plan is for him to be the sacrifice, uh, he says, uh, my father, uh, behold the fire in the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? So how did Isaac know they didn't have everything necessary for the worship of God? Well, he knew that because 
Abraham had often led Isaac and the rest of the others in the worship of God. He had done this as a family. So Isaac had seen altars built before. Isaac had seen animals sacrificed in the worship of God before. He had smelled burning flesh in the worship of God before. So he knew that something was missing. The famous passage from Joshua 24, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. How would they have served the Lord? They didn't have local congregational worship at this point. That comes very late in the Old Testament with the synagogues. Anyone who says they serve the Lord means they are a worshiper of God as well. So how, how would they have served and worshiped the Lord when there's nothing like local congregational worship that occurs? And I think it's implied that family worship would have been the kind of worship they could have accessed most often. Job is very interesting because by the very fifth verse of the whole book, we're told that Job's 10 children would often get together and have feasts, I guess, birthdays and that, that sort of things. And uh, when they would do that, we're told uh, that Job would send and consecrate them, meaning his sons and daughters. He'd rise early in the morning, offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Jacob said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. So he was continually, to use the word there, gathering them together and offering burnt offerings, leading them in the worship of God. So while there is no clear, explicit commandment in the Bible about family worship, we see it going all the way back to the very first book of the Bible. And so that's why I write, as, as you quoted there, that the Bible clearly implies that God deserves to be worshiped daily in our homes by our families. Now, you suggest that famed commentator Matthew Henry made one of the most remarkable statements on the subject of family worship in the home when he said, quote, here the Reformation must begin. Can you explain to us what makes this statement so remarkable and why Henry's words really cut to the heart of the importance of practicing family worship? Well, in that comment, he is talking about family worship. And it's, it's remarkable that he would say that, that the Reformation we long for and work for and pray for in our churches begins in family worship. And the idea is that your church consists of family units, from singles to large families and everything in between. And I think what he's saying is you change what happens in the home, you're going to change your church. I don't think it would be far-fetched to say that a good amount of Christians can look at the idea of family worship and agree that it is important, but there seems to be a disconnect between theory and practice. Based on your pastoral experience, why do you think families struggle to make family worship a priority today? Well, it's no secret. The struggle is because we're all so busy, and with families, you often have people going in different directions. You have one child at this game, another at this practice. The parents have their own busy lives. So it is difficult to get everyone together at one time on a regular, consistent basis. So I think that's, that's the practical challenge, even for those who are inclined uh, to do so. Uh, there are other reasons people struggle. I mean, it, it has to be the initiative of the father. Often he feels incapable of leading family worship. Uh, he's afraid that he doesn't know enough about the Bible. He's unable to do this. So there, there are really a, a lot of barriers that, that must be but can be overcome. And the gospel offers us hope in that, in that regard, in that by the power of the gospel, if, if Scripture calls us to obey God, it, it must be doable. 
It must be doable by real people in real life. Salvation does not rely upon our faithfulness and family worship, but it offers us hope because knowing God through Christ, we have the, the opportunity to do something together by which we experience God, we enjoy God, we can lead our children to faith in that context, presenting the gospel to them uh, every day, giving them an opportunity to discuss the gospel to some point uh, every single day. So here's a way to evangelize our children in a very busy world by bringing the gospel before them literally every day through family worship. Well, let's say someone listening to this interview is starting to feel energized, inspired, or maybe even a little convicted by this conversation, and they want to try to put some order around implementing family worship in their home. In your book, you offer three main elements that are easy to do and easy to remember. Would you take a few minutes to give us a sample of what that might look like, especially if we are trying it for the first time? Is there any kind of prep work that needs to be involved? No, I I discovered in teaching on this several years ago that People got the idea that they had to prepare some sort of lesson. And number one, they didn't have the time for that. Number two, if they did, they didn't feel qualified to do something like that, certainly not on a consistent basis. What I'm speaking of requires no preparation. I would say I've never prepared. Now, there may be something you come across in your reading that you want to share with the rest of the family. Great, you can do that. But basically, I think all you have to do is just read the Bible, pray together, and and sing together. So uh, reading the Bible is fairly straightforward, and if you have you know, preschool children that may affect what Bible you use, you're certainly going to emphasize narratives with younger children. Then the older they get, you want to have a goal, I think, of reading through the whole New Testament and then maybe the whole Bible. So you, you read the Bible, and that's going to be the heart of it, and then you pray together as a family. That can be the father praying every time. That can be just one other family member praying every time. It can be the whole family prays. Uh, during this prayer time. So that can take a variety of forms as well. There's not just one way to do that either. And then the one I get the most pushback on is is sing. But I think I get support from Scripture that when the Bible tells us what to do in worship, singing is a part of that. We're commanded twice in the New Testament to sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, for example. So if you look in the Bible and say, what does the Bible tell us to do in worship? Over and over, especially with the Psalms, we're, we're told to sing. And so if we're calling this worship as we should, then what governs our worship? It's the Bible. So uh, people, I believe, uh, should worship in song when they're together. And that doesn't mean you have to sing, you know, six stanzas of a hymn. It can be a chorus. It can be the doxology. It can be just one verse of something. It can be very brief. Uh, but nevertheless, I think there I can sustain a biblical case that when we worship, we should sing. And that goes for family worship. So without any preparation... Read the Bible, pray together, sing, and the whole thing, maybe on average, I'd say 10 minutes, maybe more brief if you're dealing with very, very young children. Very good. Well, that really makes a lot of sense. And I would say to the reader, too, if you are interested, the book really helps to unpack this even in more detail. I know I can speak from personal experience when I say that I'm often gung-ho about the excitement of new ideas, but after the first week or so passes, much of that enthusiasm wanes. And maybe the listeners can relate. Maybe they've dabbled in family worship a few times here and there, but could never really figure out a routine they could stick to. Do you have some suggestions for the leaders of the household to consider when trying to approach a sustainable routine for family worship time? I think what I just said about read, pray, sing, and just realizing the simplicity of it. Maybe in the past they tried to make it too complicated. They tried to make it too special, if you will. It's rarely ever going to be uh, what I'll call a special uh, experience. 
It's more just a routine part of life. So just simplifying it to read, pray, sing may help people be more consistent. Second, I would say choose a time when you can most consistently have everyone there. For a lot of people, that's going to be just before putting uh, the kids to bed. And then, but flexibility works in there too. Sometimes you say, look, by the time we get home, I mean, the kids are going to fall asleep in the car. So what do we do? Well, on the way to wherever you're going, you might have family worship. Uh, Many times we have family worship in the car. So if I'm driving, my wife or daughter might read the Bible, uh, then one of them pray, and then we all sing. And so we have it right there in the car. So flexibility is important, but generally I found where there's a will, there's a way. I teach seminary students, many of whom uh, will work at a UPS facility where they literally work all night uh, during a shift. And they say the only time they see their, their, their wife is when they come in, they get in about eight, their wife is going out at eight to go to work in an office, and they kind of pass in the kitchen. I say, well, then just stand there, hold each other in the kitchen and pray together. You know, where there's a will, there's a way. There is no situation that's not been addressed by Christians throughout the centuries. We tend to think our situation is unique and we can't have family worship. Well, we're always going to have that temptation to say, well, we can't do it because of our circumstances. You're not going to come up with any situation that Christians haven't addressed you know, around the world for a long, long time. And so uh, we're generally where there's a will, there's a way. Expanding on that point a little bit, let's take a look at some potential stumbling blocks for pursuing family worship in the home. And one of those might be if there's a mother or a caregiver in the home without a father figure, is the family worship going to be different? What if the father is not a Christian, but the mother or the caregiver is a Christian? So in those types of situations, how can we best navigate to still implement family worship in the home, even though it may not look like what we might traditionally think of it? Well, the Bible gives no instructions as to what to do specifically in these cases. But uh, if the father's not a Christian, and and Christian mom uh, might be able to take the initiative and just say, hey, we want to do this. Would you read the Bible during this time? And I've known of unbelieving husbands who are happy to do that. Many unbelieving husbands are very aware that they need more family time together. And so if the family comes up with a solution to to a problem he himself sees, I've seen many unbelieving men very... Uh, pleased to participate. I've also known some who will not participate under any circumstances. And I think in that case, the mother should begin and lead family worship herself, being careful that the way she does it and the spirit with which she does it doesn't cause unnecessary offense or, or turn the children against their father. We know that family worship must look slightly different in every home because not every family is the same. Trying to appeal to children's varying attention spans during church is challenging enough, let alone at home. So what are some suggestions you have for family worship when the children are very young or when there is a wide range of ages to consider? Well, if the children are very young, it's going to take discipline. It's going to take patience. Uh, Part of the discipline is, you know, sit here by mom, (laughs) sit here on this couch. And part of the patience is proceeding with family worship when they don't sit there and uh, they don't do what they're supposed to do. We have grandchildren now, one is three and a half and one of them is exactly a year old. And, you know, boy, they're all over the place. Uh, So I'm dealing with this for a second time through. You know, that's just normal. They don't have an attention span to be able to uh, concentrate as long as older children. So you want to accommodate what you read, what you sing to their ages. But let me use this as an opportunity to say, you may have an infant. You may have a child that's 15 months old. Well, I would say you've waited 15 months too long. You you should start because even if they don't understand what you're saying, they're learning. And if we could put it in adult language, 
Uh, it might be like, well, I don't know what it is we do here every night. Dad reads from this book, and I have no idea what he's talking about. We sing. I like that part. Uh, then they, they close their eyes and put their heads down and talk. I have no idea what's going on there. So I don't, know, I don't have any idea what this is we do here every night, but it must be really important because we do it every night. So they're learning that. Whatever else, they're learning that I don't know what this is, but it's really, really important. This is part of what our family does. And you know you've reached a real milestone when about two and a half, three years old, you, you think to yourself, eh, we're not going to have family worship tonight. It's too late. Everybody's too tired. And then your two and a half, three-year-old comes up with the Bible and says, Daddy, Bible. And this arrow of conviction goes through your heart <laughs> because you realize they didn't forget. Now, clearly, they're not doing it for the right reasons. They're just, they just realize, hey, this is what we do. This is what our family does at night before bedtime. Dad, you forgot. This is important. So they're learning that this is something essential to our family. Well, that's a good thing you want them to learn. You want them to grow up in a home where this is the norm. This is expected. And that way, when they have a home of their own, they, they know what to do. They've seen you do this. And so they think it's normal for families to have family worship when they have their own home. But it's also common that you have a wide range of ages. You may have preschoolers, young elementary students, and, and teenagers. So what in the world do you do there? Well, let me preface that by saying we know that families used to be larger than they are today on average. You know, if today people have a little less than, you know, two children, if they have 1.75 children today on average, it used to be much larger. So we know that they had a wider range of ages, and we know that they were more consistent in family worship than we are today. So it must be doable to have family worship with a wide range of ages. And it has as many advantages as it does drawbacks. The younger ones usually want to try to, you know, stretch up to where the older ones are. The older ones are able to learn from your example how to teach little ones of their own when they have them. But people have responded in several ways. Sometimes they try to accommodate the entire experience to all of the children. Maybe they ask questions based upon different age levels. Some people will alternate, maybe having one night where they lean family worship more toward the younger ones. The next night, they will have it lean more toward the older ones. Sometimes they give the older ones a part to play in helping to lead the other ones. So once again, throughout history, Christians have dealt with this issue far more than we have today, and uh, they were successful at it. So they proved to us that it can be done. Well, we've got time for just one more question. I would like to invite you to do something that I ask all of my guests to do on the Hope and Help Project, which is to speak directly to the audience. What would you say to this person to give them the courage they need to resolve to make family worship a priority in the home? Well, I wish I had the time to explain or to recount for them the stories I have in my little book on family worship about how precious uh, the practice was to, to children after they had grown. But I, I'll, I will give this story. Um, when my daughter finished high school, she graduated from a, a small classical Christian school here in town. And it's the, they enjoy a tradition there where the parents present the diploma to their graduating child. They offer some words of encouragement and then the child responds with some words of gratitude and so forth. So uh, in this occasion, uh, my wife, uh, my, my daughter thanked my wife for her role and her education and upbringing and so forth. And then she turned to me 
and she began by thanking me for what family worship had meant in her life. But she never got more than a couple of sentences into it when she broke down and began to cry. And I could read from the manuscript she had prepared. She let me have that. But she collapsed on my shoulder and began to cry. When I say cry, I, I literally mean harder than I'd seen her cry since she was a preschooler. And someone took a picture of that, and it's my favorite picture of us together. And we just got that picture and this story in a new printing of my family worship book. And so people see that, and they're greatly moved. And I say, you know, before you misunderstand, <laughs> let me tell you that in the thousands of nights that led up to that photograph, not once, and I literally mean not one time, would I have left family worship saying, oh, the Spirit of God came in great power on our house tonight. Uh, you know, we were on our faces before God. This was amazing. That never happened, not one time. Most of the time, I walked away from family worship thinking, was that a total waste of time? Did anything happen? And yet, after many, many nights of this, I have this memory of her telling me what family worship meant, collapsing on my shoulder and crying. And I say to people, if you get something like that, it is worth every one of those nights where you felt like nothing happened and you were a complete failure. We are, according to the Bible, we're raising oaks of righteousness. And you don't grow an oak by an occasional spectacular exposure to the perfect elements. Rather, an oak is grown by consistent, ongoing, unspectacular exposure to the right elements. And you give it enough time, and an oak develops. And the same is true with family worship. You may never see any progress. It goes so slowly. Nothing appears to happen. Uh, families are going to do in family worship what families do. Sometimes people get the idea that if I do this rightly, if I do it consistently, my children are going to sit there with cherubic looks on their faces and their hands folded in rapt attention to what I'm saying. That will never happen. They're going to be laughing. They're going to be, three-year-olds are going to be rolling on the floor. Uh, the family pet will come in and barf on the carpet. <laughs> uh, I mean, this is, it, it's, it, family worship happens with real families in real family rooms. And so what usually happens there when the family's together, that's what's going to happen in family worship. And you're going to have some meaningful moment you're hoping to share with a child, and somebody's going to burst out laughing. Somebody's going to, you know, they're going to start sibling rivalry. And that's what it's going to be like basically every single time. And the temptation is, it's not worth it. This isn't working. I'm not doing it right. No, I want to give you a picture. That's what doing it right looks like. That's what real family worship looks like. And the temptation is that nothing is being done. But God's Word will not return void. And you continue, continue in faithfulness. And you reap a harvest from that. You will say it was worth every one of those nights. I don't want people to think if they do it right, you know, things will go very well. Their children will turn out very well. There is no promise for that. But family worship normally looks like chaos. You can't tell by observing that anything is happening. But in the end, it is worth it. I want to remind people finally that we are not made right with God by how faithful we are to family worship, by how well we conduct it, or by anything, how much we love our families, or by anything else we do. We're made right with God by what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. But how blessed is the family 
where what God has done for us through Jesus is declared and discussed night after night. And I would say to your listeners, regardless of what anyone else does, let every Christian challenged by what they've heard here commit themselves to this. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord in family worship. I'm so thankful that you shared that story, really touching story with your daughter. I think it is nice to have that perspective of, you know, feeling like what you're doing in family worship isn't really changing anything or making immediate results, but just having that perspective that long term, we can look back and, and hopefully be able to see that if nothing else, God was glorified, but but hopefully there were some impactful things in our family as a result. And if not, maybe even just within our own hearts, you know, the transformation that God uh, will work as we are worshiping him faithfully every night with our family. So thank you for that. If there's someone listening to today's show who wants to learn more about your ministry or the books that you've written, is there somewhere where they can find you online to connect? Yes, my website is biblicalspirituality.org, biblicalspirituality.org, and that's the best place. All right. Well, I will be sure to link to that in the show notes for this podcast, as well as a link to the book, Family Worship. If you are interested, if you have been inspired or invigorated by this conversation, please do yourself a favor. Check out Dawn's book called Family Worship with Crossway Books. It will definitely equip you and encourage you to pursue family worship in your home. So thanks so much for joining us today, Dawn. You're very welcome. It's an honor to be with you. Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit faithfulsparrow.com forward slash project. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode. If you enjoyed today's conversation, why not subscribe to the podcast? That way you'll be notified when new weekly episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help Project a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. One more thing, if you're looking for gospel hope and help for life's challenging problems, visit faithfulsparrow.com forward slash email. I send my email subscribers weekly biblical counseling resources on rotating topics. From videos, audios, articles, and recommended reading, these emails are designed to equip you to discover gospel hope and help in your own life. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Hope and Help Project.